I just got to say hello, Friends Church. It is so good to see all of you. I have missed you. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Chris Ward. I'm the teaching pastor on staff here. And it is so great to be with you on this first weekend in September. Can you believe that it's September already? I know, right? And today I got to get the awesome privilege to open up God's word with you. So if you happen to bring your Bibles here today, Matthew chapter 16 is where we're going to be today, okay? Matthew chapter 16. If you didn't bring a Bible, all the passages we'll be looking at today will be on the screen. But today, I get the privilege to open up a brand new sermon series with you here this weekend. And this sermon series has a really catchy title. It's called, oh, it disappeared. It's called Be Here, Be You, Be Long. And I think that's pretty clever, and that means that you know I did not make it up myself, because I don't have that sort of bone in my body. But what this series is all about is this series is all about kind of God's design for the church, what we want to be about as Friends Church, and the role that you get to play in all of that. And so it's going to be a great series to begin our fall. And as we begin this first message here today, I'm going to put one of those phrases on the back screen. And yes, this is a phrase you're going to have to repeat after me, but you haven't done this in a while, so I know that you'll do it with full voice, okay? But let me read this first uh, phrase first. The uh, phrase is this, when all else fails, God's church will remain, okay? When all else fails, God's church will remain. And I want to take that a statement at a time, repeat after me. Ready? When all else fails... No, 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 no. We got to start over again. Did I say repeat after me or did I say say it with me? So I'm I'm really asking because sometimes I don't know. Repeat after me, right? Okay, let's try it again. Okay, ready? When all else fails, God's church will remain. Let's try it again. A little bit of energy, okay? When all else fails, God's church will remain. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to the person sitting next to you, and I want you to say to them, when all else fails, God's church will remain. Go ahead and do that right now. (laughs) Good job, friends. Good job. By the way, I hate it when pastors ask me to do that, so I'm sorry I asked you to do that. But I want to get that point across here today. When all else fails, God's church will remain. Let me tell you something about me, brothers and sisters, and some of you may already know this, but let me tell you something about me, and that is this. I am a huge fan of. And I am also very optimistic about God's church, okay? And understand by that, I don't just mean Friends Church, so of course I include us in that, but I mean the big C church. I mean God's church as it is spread throughout the world. I am both a huge fan of, and I am also very optimistic about God's church. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. And some of you are thinking, but wait, Chris, you're a pastor. You have to be a fan of God's church. That sort of comes with the territory. That comes with the job. And listen, maybe it does. But here's what I know, okay? The perspective that I have here today is one that is kind of on short supply these days. In fact, it seems to me that we live in a time where God's church has kind of been taking a beating from the world around us. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, the New York Times, they released an article, we'll put a picture of it on the screen. The article is called, America is Losing Religious Faith. And contrary to the title of this article, what this ar- the title of this article would suggest, this article was not about any other religion in America except for Christianity. It was sort of a hit piece on Christianity. And it's all about the declining attendance of churches in the United States. And this article was based on a book that came out recently, just a few weeks ago. I have it right here. And the book is called The Great Dechurching. And this book is also about the supposed record number of people these days who are leaving the church in America. And it seems to me that there is almost this new sport that is going on uh, today. And the sport is people are placing bets on the death of this thing right here. 
In fact, there are a lot of people these days who predict that it's only a matter of time before the church in America will lose all of its influence and all of its significance. And it's for that reason I want to let you know there are a lot of people who look with a lot of confusion on what you are doing right now. Because generally speaking, we don't want to give our lives to a dying institution, right? And so a lot of people wonder, why in the world would you devote an hour and a half on a Saturday night, when, by the way, there are some good college football games on right now, why would you devote an hour and a half on a Saturday night to this dying thing called the church? That doesn't make sense to a lot of people. So why would you do that? Well, here's what I believe, okay? To borrow an old phrase, I believe that the reports of the death of the church have been greatly exaggerated. In fact, I really believe that right now is the best time to be a part of God's church, and that's what I want to show you here today. I have one goal here today, okay? And the goal that I have today is I want to show you why I am so hopeful and optimistic about God's church and why I believe that you should be as well. And through that, I want to show you why I do believe that this is the best time to get plugged into, if not to Friends Church, then to a church. And I want to show you why I believe, contrary to what people out there say, the church is not going anywhere. When all else fails, God's church will remain. And that's what I want to show you here today. And in order to do that, here's what we're going to do today, okay? We're going to focus entirely, pretty much, on just one verse in our Bibles. Those of you who've been here for a while, you know I call this a Chris Ward special. But we're going to focus on just one verse in our Bible, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And the reason I have chosen this verse is because this verse we're looking at today is actually the first time in our Bibles that the word church appears. And so in many ways, this verse we're looking at today, it is, in some sense, our, our, our founding charter as a church, okay? It is our declaration of independence. It is where we find our start in the Bible. And from this one verse, we learn so much about God's design for the church, what it is, and why it is important. And so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to organize my talk around three truths that this passage teaches us, this verse teaches us about God's design for his church and why it is important. And these will unfold one at a time throughout the message. And so you can write these down if you want. We'll begin right away with the first one. The first truth is this. The church is not a building or a place. The church is a people. The church is not a building or a place. The church is a people. Now, what do I mean by this? Well, let me explain, okay? One of the things that I have found over the years, men and women, is I have found that a lot of people are very confused when it comes to what Jesus actually founded when he founded the church. And there are a lot of different thoughts and opinions and things that come to people's minds when they think of the church. In fact, this past week, I was thinking of an old nursery rhyme. And those of you of a certain age, you'll probably remember it. But the nursery rhyme goes like this. It says, this is the church. This is the steeple. Look inside and what? And see all the people, right? And that nursery rhyme is such a picture of what comes to many people's minds when they think of the church. What is the church in many people's minds? Well, the church is a building, right? As the nursery rhyme says, this is the church. The church is the place where all the people gather together, and that's what many people think about. Well, I want to let you know that if you hear nothing else today, men and women, I want you to hear this, okay? That is not at all what Jesus formed when he formed the church. 
And the reason I know that is because of this verse in Matthew chapter uh, 16, verse 18. As I said, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 is the first time that the word church appears in our Bible. And you see it right in the middle of that verse where Jesus makes this great statement. He says, I will build my church. I will build my church, Jesus says. And I don't want you to underestimate the power of this moment, okay? Because in many ways, we can trace what it is we are doing right now. We can trace it back to this moment right here. In many ways, this is the beginning of the forming of the church. But again, the question is, well, what exactly is it that Jesus is forming here, right? Well, the answer to that question can be found in the very Greek word that Jesus chooses here that is translated as church in our Bible. And this is a very important word, so I'm going to spend just a moment or two on it, okay? But the Greek word that is translated church in our Bible is the Greek word ekklesia, okay? Ekklesia. In fact, I want you to say that with me on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Ekklesia. Good job. You all know a little bit of Greek right now, so that's very good. But the Greek word ekklesia, in fact, every single time you come across the word church in our Bibles, the underlying word underneath it is the Greek word ekklesia. And what you need to understand about the Greek word ekklesia is it does not mean at all what we commonly associate with the church today, okay? In fact, do you know what the best English translation of the Greek word ekklesia is? You know what it is? It's actually our English word assembly or gathering, okay? The best translation of the Greek word ekklesia is assembly or gathering. You see, this word that Jesus chooses here to talk about the church, this word is actually not a religious word at all. It's a word that Jesus borrowed from the everyday world of this time. And it was a world, word that originally referred to any time a group of people gathered together, united by a common purpose. That's really what ecclesia means. It's a group united by a common purpose. And it was used to describe anything from a military gathering, a gathering of military leaders, to a sports gathering, okay? Pretty much any time people gathered together, united by a common purpose, it was called an ecclesia. It was called a church. So what does that mean? Well, that means that when Jesus founded this thing called the church men and women, he did not at all intend to, to found what many of us associate with church today. He was not founding a building. He was not founding an institution. He was not founding a set of religious practices that we would do over and over and over again. No, what Jesus was founding is he was founding a group of people united by a common purpose. And that's why I put this first point the way that I did. The church is not a building or a place. The church is a people. This is also what sits behind the opening of verse 18, which is a little bit curious. Look at me at the very beginning of verse 18. Jesus begins this verse by saying this. He says, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And that's kind of an interesting statement. What exactly is Jesus saying there? Well, the background for this statement occurs in the couple of verses immediately before verse 18. And it really goes back to verse 15 where Jesus asks his disciples this very important question. He says to his disciples, he says, who do you think that I am? Who do you think that I am, Jesus says to his disciples. And the reason why Jesus asked this question is because he is trying to get the disciples to declare 
that he is more than just some ordinary human being. And so Jesus is not one to beat around the bush. And so he just comes out and he asks his disciples that question. Well, after Jesus asked that question, we can sort of imagine that there was a probably an awkward moment or two because none of the disciples wanted to get the answer to that question wrong. But then we have Peter, and Peter is the leader of the disciples, and Peter was never one who liked a moment of silence. And so we're told that he steps forward, and he makes this great declaration, and you see it in verse 16 here, just a couple of verses before verse 18. Verse 16, it says this, it says, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You are the Messiah, Peter says, the son of the living God. And I want to let you know, this is also a very important moment in our Bible. Because it's the very first time that any one of Jesus' disciples declare Jesus' true identity. And I want to let you know, men and women, this is just sort of an aside to what I'm talking about here today. But I want to let you know that this is what we believe about Jesus here at this church. I especially want to talk to any of you who may be new here or guests here. I want to let you know that at this church, we do not believe Jesus was just some ordinary person, okay? We don't believe he was just a great teacher. We don't believe he was just a great philosopher. We don't believe that he was just someone who set a great example for us to follow. No, at this church, we declare along with Peter that Jesus is God himself. He is the son of God who came to this earth. There is something unique and special about him because he is God in flesh. And that is what Peter is declaring here. Well, it's after Peter makes this declaration that Jesus does two things for Peter. And the first thing that Jesus does is he gives Peter a new name. And that's what you see when Jesus says, you will be called Peter. And you have to understand, Peter's original name was not Peter. Peter's original name was Simon. And Simon means God has heard. And that's a great name, but based on Peter's bold declaration of who Jesus is, Jesus decides he wants to change his name, and so he changed his name to Petros, which means the rock. And so Jesus literally changes Peter's name to the rock. Yes, just like Dwayne the Rock Johnson, okay? Peter is the original rock. So that's the first thing that Jesus does for Peter. But the second thing that Jesus does for Peter is because of this bold declaration of, of Peter, that, of, of Jesus' identity, the second thing that Jesus does for Peter is he tells Peter that he is going to have a foundational role in this church that Jesus is forming. And that's what he says at the beginning of this verse when he says, You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And if you read that in the original Greek, it really says something like this, and this is my paraphrase here, but what Jesus says to Peter is he says, Peter, you are the rock, and it's on you as the rock that I will build my church. And I believe what Jesus is doing here is he is predicting the foundational role that Peter is going to have in the formation of the church. And if you indeed, if you read the rest of the Bible, you will see that's exactly the case. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, it's Peter's sermon that directly leads to the first church gathering. Peter is instrumental in getting the church started. Now, I need to say this just for full disclosure, okay? There are some people who believe that what Jesus is doing here is he's going even further than what I just said. And there are some people who believe and teach that actually what Jesus is doing here when he calls Peter the rock and says, on this rock I will build my church, that Jesus is making Peter the first pope of the church. And that therefore we should have popes today. We should have human leaders of the church today that is over all the other churches. Now, not surprisingly, 
I happen to believe a little bit differently, unless, of course, you want to make me pope, in which case I will argue that that's the case here, okay? But no, I don't believe that at all that's what, what Jesus is doing here, and I believe that for a couple of reasons. The first reason I don't believe that that's what Jesus is doing here is because we'll see in just a moment that Jesus makes it very clear that there is only to be one leader of the church, and it is no human leader here on this earth, and we'll see that in a moment. And then the other reason I don't believe Jesus is making Peter Pope here and saying that we should have popes is because there's a little verse in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, where the Apostle Paul makes it clear that the church is built on the foundation of all the apostles and all the prophets, not just Peter. So I don't think we should have popes today. I don't think that Jesus is making Peter Pope. That's not what's going on here. But I will say this. I think there is a deeper significance to what Jesus is doing here. You see, by saying that Peter is going to have an instrumental role in the church, what Jesus is doing is he is reiterating what we already said. And that is that the church is about people. That is that the church is fundamentally shaped by the people who make it up. And this is very important for us to remember. You know, one of the things that has happened to churches over the years, and we're guilty of this as well, is that churches have decided over the years that they need to have a paid staff who works for that church. And so all these churches, including us, we have people who have been hired, like myself, to work on staff at a church. And listen, that may be necessary. In our case, I think in many ways it is. But there is an unfortunate effect with that. And the unfortunate effect with that is that some people can begin to believe that the church belongs to those who, who work for a church and that you all just attend. That this is our church, this is our, the staff's church, and you just show up every weekend to walk a, watch a performance that is put on by paid professionals. Well, I want to let you know that that's not at all what Jesus intended when he created the church. In fact, we're going to talk about this in greater detail in the next couple of weeks, but you may want to write this phrase down, and that is this, you don't go to church, you are the church. Okay, you don't go to church, you are the church. In other words, I hope this doesn't offend anybody here, but unless you are visiting for the first time, I want to let you know, you are not our guests here at Friends Church. You can't be our guests, because you are our family. And this is every bit as much your church as it is my church, as it is Matthew's church, as it is anybody on staff's church. It is. And you are absolutely crucial and vital to what it is that we do here. As we said, the church is fundamentally about gathering together with other believers. And so if you don't show up every week, we don't have a church. You are absolutely essential to what we do. This, by the way, was why COVID was so hard. And this, by the way, is why no matter how high, hard we tried during COVID, for those six months that we didn't meet together, together, however long it was, it never felt like what we were doing was church. Why? Because during that time, we were not doing the one thing that makes a church a church. We were not gathering together. That's what Jesus established when he established a church. A church is not a place a church is not a building. A church is a group of people. And more specifically, it's a group of people who gather together. And that's the first truth that I want to get across to you here today. By the way, as an aside related to this, uh, my son Lucas, who if you can believe it, he is in fourth grade now. He is nine years old, which is crazy. Uh, but my son Lucas, he is turning into quite the theologian. 
And a couple of weeks ago, we were driving somewhere, and just sort of randomly out of the blue, he brought this subject up. And he said to me something like this. He said, hey, Dad, he said, I don't like it when people say that when we walk into this building, we're walking into God's house. He said, this isn't God's house. No, he said something like this. He said, we are God's house, Dad. We are God's house. And you know what? He's absolutely right. And when he said that, I got to tell you, I got the biggest smile on my face. You have to understand that for me, when my kids quote theology, that's the equivalent of them scoring the winning touchdown, okay? I was so happy in that particular moment, but he's right. You know, this is a magnificent building. This is an incredible gift from God. This is not church. We are church. This is not God's house. We are God's house. Church is not a building or a place. Church is a people. And as I said, we're actually going to talk a little bit more about that in the next couple of weeks. But obviously, men and women, obviously we need to go further than that. Because as I said, that Greek word, ekklesia, it doesn't just refer to any gathering. No, it refers to a gathering of people united by a common purpose. And so that raises the question, okay, what is our purpose to be when we gather together? Well, this question is really easy to answer because it's the standard Sunday school answer. And what do you think that is? Oh my gosh, what do you think that is? Jesus, thank you. Yes, it's Jesus. That is what we are to be about. And that is the second truth I have for you, okay? The church is to be for, by, and about Jesus. The church is to be for, by, and about Jesus. And that's what we see here. You know, it's no coincidence, brothers and sisters, that the, the formation of the church occurs right after the strongest declaration of who Jesus is in the Bible. And there is a connection that is to be made there. And the connection is, is what unites us together is what we believe about Jesus. Yes, the church is made up of people. Yes, the church is made up of individuals. But we have to understand there is one individual above all else that we are to elevate and worship and and acknowledge in the church. And who is that individual? It is Jesus. And Jesus himself makes that clear in this passage. As we said here, Jesus says this. He says, and on this rock, I will build my church. And actually in the original Greek, the emphasis is on the word my. Make no mistake about it, men and women, this church and any church ultimately belongs to Jesus. The church is to be for, by, and about Jesus. This is why, and Matthew has talked about this before, but this is why we sometimes get uncomfortable these days when we hear that there are churches out there that are known more by the name of their senior pastor than they are by the name of their church. In other words, when someone will come up to me and they'll say, oh, you're a pastor, well, I go to so-and-so's church, and if that so-and-so is any name other than Jesus's, I don't like that. And in fact, I don't know if Jesus likes that either, because Jesus is to be the head of the church and not any one individual. That is why, just so you know, and some of you have probably wondered this before, but that's one of the reasons why we have multiple teachers on the weekend here at Friends Church. And that's why we don't publish the schedule online, so you can't only show up when your favorite teacher is teaching, though I know some of you have tried to do that before. That is also why we have multiple worship leaders, and that's why at all of our campuses, our campuses are taught by real-life teachers and not videos of Matthew and me or whoever's on this stage being piped into those campuses. Why do we do that? 
Well, among other reasons, we do that because we understand the focus can't be on us. The focus needs to be on Jesus. So more, the more that we can get the attention off of us and get it on Jesus, the better off we'll be. Because listen to me, okay? We have an enemy, Satan, who hates the church. And he hates what we do and he hates what it is that we are about. And one of the ways that Satan tries to trip us up is he tries to tempt pastors to make churches about themselves so that they can get the glory and not Jesus. Or if Satan doesn't do that, one of the other tactics that Satan has to trip the church up is he just tries to distract the church. And he tries to get the church to focus on things that it was never intended to focus on. And in fact, going back to this book that I mentioned earlier, listen, if people are leaving the church these days in record numbers, and some statistics suggest that that may be the case, I think at least part of this is the reason why. You see, it's been my observation, men and women, that the church, I think especially out of COVID, we got, we got focused on things that we were never supposed to be focused on. And we got distracted by things that were really taking us away from our mission. And we forgot that our hope is to be in Jesus and not in government and not in politics and not in any politician. That's what I, why I want to make it clear. At this church, we will always fight to keep our focus on Jesus. And we will fight against any distraction that tries to take us away from Jesus. And understand, one of the reasons why we do that is because it's when we do that that the third truth is realized. And that is this. My third truth is this. The church will always survive because Jesus guarantees it. The church will always survive because Jesus guarantees it. And this is what takes me back to what I said at the beginning. Why am I so hopeful and optimistic about the church? Well, the reason why is because the church has Jesus' personal seal of guarantee attached to it. And that's what you see at the end of verse 18. When Jesus says this, he says, On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And there we see Jesus' personal guarantee when it comes to the church. As Jesus says here, not even the gates of Hades will be able to destroy the church. Now what exactly does Jesus mean here when he refers to the gates of Hades? Well, there are a lot of different interpretations out there. Some of them are really complicated. You've probably heard some of those before. But I think the simplest explanation is the best one. And that is that I think gates of Hades refers to death or dying. You see several times in Jewish literature, another way to talk about death or dying was to talk about the gates of Sheol or the gates of hell or the gates of Hades. And I think that's what Jesus is talking about here. And the point that Jesus is making here is that no one death of any individual is ever going to be able to stop God's church. And the reason why is because the church is not built by any one individual here on this earth. No, the church is built by Jesus who lives forever. And this is another reason why it's so important for churches to keep their focus on Jesus. Because as they do, it will ensure that any church will outlast the death of any of its members. You see, death cannot stop a church that is focused on Jesus. Nothing can stop a church that is focused on Jesus. And that's why, as I said earlier, I just don't believe these reports that say that the church is just going to go away. Men and women, the church is not going anywhere. Oh, sure, individual churches may come and go. 
But Jesus makes it sure, Jesus makes clear that the church will always exist, that there will always be gatherings of people focused on him. The big C church will always remain because Jesus promises that it will. And that is what makes us so special. That's what makes us so unique. This past week, I was thinking back to when I was in junior high school. And when I was in junior high school, we had a tradition as a family most Friday nights. And the tradition was, most Friday nights, you could find us at this place right here. Let's go ahead and put that picture on the screen. Now, some of you are too young to remember this place, but others of you, I saw your eyes light up. What is this? It's Blockbuster, right? And on Friday nights, wasn't this the place to be? You could find the whole city in this place right here fighting over those few new releases, right? Because this is the only place in that time that you could rent a movie. This is one of the only places that you could check out new video games, that sort of thing. So it was the place to be. And I was thinking this past week, you know, if you told someone in the 1990s that in 20 years there would be no more blockbusters, they probably wouldn't believe you, right? In fact, some people would probably be more likely to say that there would be no more churches in 20 years than say that there would be no more blockbusters. And yet, what has happened to all the blockbusters? They're gone. I think there's one left in Oregon or something like that. But for the most part, all the blockbusters are gone. And listen, that's how things normally work in this life, right? There are things that come and there are things that go. That's usually how things happen. But there is one notable exception to that. And what is that? It's the church. I mean, you realize, don't you, that since Jesus made this statement here in the first century, that there have literally been hundreds of nations that have been formed and disappeared. There have been billions of people that have been born and lived and died. And there have been millions of companies that have been formed and prospered and then went away. And yet throughout all of that, the church has remained. Why? Because Jesus promised it would. We are literally the fulfillment, we are seeing this prophecy that Jesus made being fulfilled in our day and age. That's why I was thinking this past week, you know, probably most everybody in this room, we, we want our lives to count for something, right? We want our lives to, to matter. We want to make an impact in this world. We want to believe that we are a part of something that is bigger than ourselves. Well, listen, that's what happens when you're a part of a church, when you're a part of a church, you get to be a part of something that you know will last far beyond you, your children, and your children's children. And you can be guaranteed that the investments that you make in the lives of others will have an impact far greater than anything that you can imagine. That's what stood out to me about David and Nancy's story. I mean, what an incredible story. What a powerful story. What a story of life change and life transformation, right? But here's what I want to let you know, okay? Those sorts of, sorts of stories, they happen all the time in the church. I remember years ago listening to an interview with uh, Pastor Rick Warren on the news. And one of the questions he was asked is he was asked, why are you a pastor? And Rick had a really good answer. He said, I am addicted to life change. And he says, as a pastor, I get to see an incredible amount of life change. And you know what? Rick is absolutely right. As a pastor, I get to see a lot of life change. But here's what I want to let you know. You don't have to be a pastor to see a life change. And you don't have to be a pastor to contribute to life change. No, any time you engage and step more into your church, you get to be a part of life change. You get to impact people's lives forever. And that's what leads to my encouragement to you here today. 
Listen, contrary to what other people say, the church is not going anywhere. It's going to last. So if you want to make a difference, the best thing that you can do is get engaged in God's church. And so that's why I ask you this simple question today, and that is this. What is your next step? What's your next step? What's your next step here or if you attend another church? What's your next step at your other church? What is the next step that you're going to take? And you know what? I think there is a next step for every single one of us regardless of how long you've been here. I think, for example, those of you who are brand new here at our church. If you are brand new, first of all, welcome. We are so grateful that you are here. And here's what I'd ask of you. Here's your next step, okay? Would you just keep on showing up? In fact, here's what I'd ask you to do. Would you commit to showing up at least four to six times before you make a decision about this place. See, one of the things I believe is I don't believe that you can get a good sense of a church just by showing up once. So would you show up at least four to six times to get a feel for this place? And if at the end of those four to six times you decide this place is not for you, that's okay. But would you can make a commitment to go to another place, to try out another church? You don't have to be a part of this church. But I do believe if you are a Jesus follower, it's, a, it's important to be a part of some church. And so that's the step I would have for you. Just keep showing up. Secondly, I think of those of you who have maybe been here for a while, but you don't feel all that connected. Well, I think an obvious step for you is can you take a step this fall to become more plugged in? Maybe this is the fall where finally you take rooted. If you haven't before, finally you become an alpha. Or maybe this become a part of alpha. Or maybe this is the, the fall where you decide that you're going to serve on one of our volunteer teams here. And we have so many different opportunities. You can go on our website to find those out. But can you take a next, next step to be more engaged? Because the more engaged that you are here, the, the more Davids and Nancys that you're going to impact someday. The more lives that you're going to have the ability to change, even lives that you never meet, people far down the road. So that's what I'd say to those of you in that category. And then finally, I think of, of those of you who have been here for a while. One of the great things about being a church that's 110 years old is we have people who have been here for a really long time. And some of you are very plugged in and very connected. And if that describes you, again, thank you. Thank you for the commitment that you have made to this church. But you know what? I think there's a next step for you as well. And that is this. Is this a season where God is calling you into even something more here? a deeper level of commitment, a deeper level of involvement. Maybe it's time, for example, not just to be a part of a life group, but maybe it's time to lead a life group. Or maybe it's time to try a new serve opportunity, a new volunteer opportunity in our church. In fact, here's what I'd encourage you to do, okay? In fact, I'd encourage all of us to do this. And that is to pray at some point this week, just this simple prayer, God, is there more that you have for me here? God, is there more that you have for me here and to see what God says? And who knows, you may move into the most impactful season of your life. And I would encourage you to continue showing up for the next couple of weeks because you need to hear more about what it is that we are about and some of the amazing opportunities that we have here. But that's my encouragement. What is your next step? What's the next step that you can take at Friends Church? You know, this past week I was thinking about this and I'll close with this. But this past week, I was thinking about these group of people right here. Let's go ahead and put that picture on the screen. You know who these people are right here? These are some of the people who founded this church 110 years ago. These are some of the people who decided 110 years ago that they wanted to have a gathering, especially for their children. So they formed this gathering called Friends Church, and that's some of them right here. 
And I was thinking this past week, you know, can you imagine what it would be like for these people if they showed up here today? Some of them would probably be really, really scared, right? Absolutely they would. But you know what? I think many of them would be floored. They would be floored by the number of people here. They'd be floored by all that is going on here. But do you know what I think would floor them even more than that? It's when we told them that God is just getting started here at Friends Church. And that's what I believe. After 110 years, I believe that our best days are ahead of us. And I believe that as we stay focused on Jesus, there is nothing, not even death itself, that will be able to stop what Jesus wants to do here. Why? It's because of what we said at the beginning. When all else fails, God's church will remain. When all else fails, God's church will remain. Do you believe that here, brothers and sisters? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, this week, let's be the church. And let's impact our world for Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Will you stand with me, please, as we pray? You know, one of the things that it means that Jesus has remained true to his promise to the church is that Jesus will remain true and faithful to any promises that he has made for us. And in fact, in our closing song, that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to pray, or we're going to praise God, and we're going to thank him for his faithfulness to his promises. And that's exactly what I want to pray into right now. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are a faithful God, Lord. We thank you, God, that you are a God who 2,000 years ago, through your son Jesus, you declared that you were going to form this thing called the church, God. And and here we are 2,000 years later, and so much has changed over these 2,000 years, God. But everywhere throughout the world, there are still people gathering together to honor and serve your son, Jesus Christ, Father. And I thank you for your faithfulness and commitment to that promise. And God, I thank you that through the church over the years, we have seen so many people's lives touch and change, God. And that's not because of anything that we've done. That's because of what you've done. That's because of you working through us, Father. And God, I thank you that since we know that you are true to your promises, Lord, if there's anybody here who's had a promise that is made by you to them, God, anybody here who is waiting on one of your promises to come through, Lord, we know that you are a God who is faithful. And we know, God, that you will say yes and amen to all the promises that you have made. And so, God, as we close here today with this final song, and as we thank you for who you are, for the faithfulness that you have towards us, Lord, I pray that this would come from hearts of gratitude and just awe for the ways that you hold true to what it is that you say. And so, Father, would you accept this last song as just a praise, an offering to you for all that you are and all that you do, Father. We love you. We thank you. And we ask all of this in your son's name and all God's people said, amen.